It is our final week of service at the table. We have done four weeks of service, four weeks of servanthood, and today we are concluding it. Now, I'm a little bit excited this morning because I get to interview Pastor Claude. Woo! What you don't know is some of his best preaches, some of his best wisdom comes from conversation, not always on stage. So I'm excited this morning to be able to share a little bit of what goes on in his head. He might share about his tomato sandwiches, and he might not. Oh yeah, it's working too. It's working, isn't it? He's on a tomato sandwich diet. How much have you lost so far? Three quarters. Three quarters of a, of a tomato? Yeah, no. Tomatoes with bacon on okay and then you layer it with beef burgers and it's working a treat it's work, i can see and chips and he's got a fresh haircut do we like his haircut this no. morning no he's no looking... no no there's a story behind my haircut it's a disaster oh no this, this is what happens when you go to the barbers and start witnessing to them <laughs> <laughs> it's just payback i think it looks great i think it looks great Let's pray, and then we're going to ask a few questions. We're going to go into the wisdom and the depths of Claude's brain this morning, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity to hear from you this morning. Lord, we want to thank you for Pastor Claude and for Sue and for all they do here at Southfield. And right now, we open our hearts and our ears to what you want to say. In your name we say, amen. Amen. I hope you're nervous. Are you nervous? No. No, okay. Question number one. You have spoken a lot about your father-in-law. So last week you mentioned your father-in-law. Yeah, yeah, you speak true. about your father-in-law a lot. Yeah. But you mentioned a quote last week. Yeah. Can you remind us of the quote? Yes, I can, because I've got it here. Oh, right well done. Me. See? And then unpack it. This is, this is my father-in-law. This is Sue's dad, who I'll give you the context of this. They want you to hold the mic In part two. And one day he said this to me, and it's... It's kind of these small hinges that open and close large doors, isn't it? Mm. So this was a major change in my ministry, in my life. And I was probably about uh, 30s when we were at the church up in the Midlands. And it was a great church. And I was preparing this message on servanthood, funnily enough. And I went home for a few days. And I told my father-in-law, he said, what are you preaching on? And I said, servanthood. And he immediately said this. Didn't say much. He just said this. Servanthood is the only authentic qualification for any Christian leader. Wow. And on that incisive answer to a question, what are you preaching on? Mm. It changed me completely. Mm. And I realized that probably the only person in the church who wasn't a servant was me. Mm. I was educated to be a leader. So why did it change you? What was it that changed you? Oh, because I love my father-in-law. Mm. And his example of servanthood, he personified what he said. Yeah. And he was a butcher. He ended a butcher's round. And the interesting thing is this, that this man got saved later in life, after he'd been in the war. He was a heavy smoker and so on. And, and he got saved dramatically mm. and when he got saved he turned his life totally around turned around totally around and mm. um, when i knew him it was a guy that would pray for you in an embarrassing way mm. he would talk about jesus all day long 
you could never get through breakfast without him opening his Bible and talking to you. He was that kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. And, but I'm telling you that he was his church. He went to a church, an Eden church, mm. but his church were all his customers. And when he took his van out that he sold meat, hawking it's called, and he okay. went out hawking, and he took me with him, everybody were giving testimonies wow. of what had happened in their life. And how dad went and prayed for them, laid hands on the kids and all the rest of it. Took such a deep interest. Mm. And I learned so much that this guy, highly intelligent, became a butcher and found his church Mm. and ministry and identity. And he fulfilled it to the very day that he died. On the day that he died, he was witnessing to a friend of his who was totally against everything that dad stood for. Mm. withstood him as a butch just argued the point withstood him that guy died the same day as my my father-in-law died and just before he died he with my father-in-law gave his life to christ come on and they are buried next door to one another wow in the graveyard wow credible and and do you want me to go on go on go on on. you're ready keep going all right then so the turning around Christian living is all about turning around. His life turned around. Yeah. Mine turned around. Trained for the ministry. Went through Bible college, pastor churches and so on. Went to Youth for Christ and yeah, so on yeah. and so on and so on. But it wasn't until I was 30 years of age, 30-some years of age, on this very quote that I turned around. Wow. And on that moment, I gave up professionalism and I realized that I was just a servant, mm-hmm. just like everybody and anybody else. Yeah. Later... And this, I got baptized totally in the Holy Spirit for the second time. It was staggering. And it's because I really, the Spirit of God had humbled me. Yeah. And broke me and turned me around. And I learned some things from, from, uh, from Sue as well. Because I was coaching Sue when we were about 19, 18, weren't we? And I was Jack the Back lad. Back in the day. Back I'd become day. a Christian. I got filled with the Holy Spirit not long after I became a Christian, but I'd gone to sleep as a Christian. And the point is, we switch off. Mm-hmm. We have a little nap yep. in the day, which turns out to be a long sleep. Yep. And we forget to wake up. And I'd forgotten to wake up. And everything I knew, I just didn't do. Yeah. And I, all my energy was going into my work, and I found a girlfriend. And clever me, and I remember distinctly, because I borrowed my auntie's car to take Sue out driving her home, clever me, and she asked me about my Christian faith, and I said, well, really, I'm just thinking it all through. I'm not sure about it now, and you know, I was trying to be intelligent. <laughs> and in my intelligent, the answer from my girlfriend was, either you sort yourself out or we're through. Wow. Wow. What on, Sue? I'm still trying to sort myself out. <laughs> way to know that amen but i did but i'll tell you what i learned because I, I i wrote this down uh that i love she loved me but it's tough yeah yeah, yeah you've got yeah. to be straight up about yeah. it anyway i learned that that to be a servant you've got one you've got to be broken yeah secondly this is a spirit thing mm. broken in spirit totally willing to be a servant you've got to have a servant spirit You've got to have strength. Mm. 
And I find that servants are like servants in society. They do a lot of loitering. <laughs> They're kind of not prominent. They don't want to be prominent, but they're just there, mm. hanging around, waiting to be used, seeing the need, getting involved in it. And my father-in-law was brilliant, and this is what I learned from him. As a real witness, and a, in a real ministry, and as a full-on servant, this is how I saw him minister to his church, mm. his customers. Number one, feel the pain. Feeling the pain mm. of the world yeah. and our society is uttermost. Secondly, having felt the pain, see the need. Mm. Identify the need. Yeah. Home in on the need. Identify it. The third thing, feel the pain, see the need, serve the cause. You've got a cause now. Mm. You feel the pain. You see the need. Yeah. Now you've got a cause. Lastly, almost, plant the seed. Amen. And the very last thing is pray for the harvest. Amen. Five great principles. Amen. Living our Christian life as servants. I think that's brilliant. You said a word in that. You said humble. And that just resonated. And I remember growing up in Soul Survivor and Spring Harvest and that young teenager. And you're like, oh, I want to be like that. I want to be that stage person. I want to be that worship leader. I want this. I want that. How do you remain humble is the first thing. And secondly, how do you realize where your calling is? Because we're not all called to be platform people. We're not all called to be up front. We're not all called to be big and bold. In fact, Leo touched on it this morning. I'm just a gray man behind the scenes. How do we find peace in that? That it's okay. I'm just a tea and coffee person. I'm a welcome person. And that I'm just as valued there as I would be on the stage. So I said, humbleness comes from the breaking. Because mm. you just realize you have no other status yeah. but to be a servant. And the wonderful thing is this, and there's a great status with it. I'm called just not to be anybody's servant. I'm called to be his servant. Amen. Servant of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is an incredible thing. Mm. And that breaking is really important. I think I've said before that when I was rebaptizing the Holy Spirit, there I was pastoring a large church. And one day, at a conference it was, the Holy Spirit came upon me in a way that I'd never experienced it before. But I had been praying, God, I, I love your church, but I don't think I love people. <laughs> And there's a difference. Mm -hmm. I love your church with a passion, but I don't love people. And when the Holy Spirit came upon me, it was ginormous. I couldn't stand. I was trembling. I was weeping. I was crying. And here I am with others, and they're watching this happen to me. Mm. And God baptized me in a new thing. He baptized me in love. Amen. The very thing that I've been praying for. I love your church, but I don't love people. One of the reasons is I'm quite shy. I'm quite nervous. And when he loved me, from that moment on when I prayed with people, I used to cry with them. <laughs> and sometimes now, well, more times than not, when I'm talking to people about Christian faith and talking about the Lord, I begin to well up and cry. Mm. People know that when I'm preaching, I well up and you know, I struggle a bit. Mm. 
because God has done something in my heart at a very deep level, and I don't know what it is. Yeah. But he softened this hard Yorkshire, <laughs> legionated supporter. Oh, dear, Lord Jesus. And decided <laughs> to soften me. Something I can't do myself, he had to do it for me and with me. So humbling is getting before God. Mm. God is everything. And ask to be humbled by the Holy Spirit. Don't plastic it. Don't pretend it. It's got to be a spirit thing. That's brilliant. Last week as well, you mentioned about um, our reward being accumulated in heaven. And uh, so often we can go around like, give me praise. You know, I've just cleaned the toilets or give me this. Not that I've ever done that, right? (laughs) But come on, like, come on, give me praise. Like, I've done this. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Yeah, I can. Um, We are programmed in life not to give, but to get. Yeah, so true. And almost everything we do is to manipulate a situation that pleases us or satisfies us Mm. so that we can receive. Yeah. And we do it with our words, we do it with our emotions, we do it with our generosity. We just do it. We give as long as the reward is bigger than the gift. Mm. It rewards us. This is coming to position where you don't give to get. You give to hear this one day. And it's incredible that God has said, I'm going to tell you. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to first words I'm going to say to you Mm. when you enter heaven it's not how great you've been or how well you've played the trumpet or whatever it's not how well you've preached it's not it's well done good and faithful servant yeah enter into the joy of your rest yeah well done I long I long for my teacher to say, well done at school. Mm. I used to really look forward to my dad saying, well done. Yeah. And my dad was a really intelligent guy. And he longed for one of his sons to go to grammar school. Okay. And not to the secondary modern school in my days. And the first son, my eldest brother, failed the exam. He wasn't best pleased. <laughs> then his sister took the exam a couple of years later. She failed it. He was not at all pleased. <laughs> I'm the third child. Is resting on me now. Surely this boy will do it. I went and I failed it miserably. Mm. Do you know why I failed it? Not clever enough, certainly. <laughs> But I didn't want to wear the uniform that we wore <laughs> at the grammar school. She did it on purpose. I had to wear a tie. and didn't like that. <laughs> I failed on purpose. I'm going to leave all my friends behind. My dad was so upset that that happened to me. Mm. And didn't fulfill his dreams. Now, giving to get and to hear, well done. Not you, failure. Not you've disappointed me. Mm. Not that, you know, you haven't got a brain. Well done, as he looks into your eyes. Mm. You good, you faithful servant, Mm. come in. 
you're welcome here. Enter into your joy. So the reward is in the promise that he will reward us. And our reward is not material. Our reward is not praise from people. It's not affirmation from people. It's from him. Yeah. That's so good. I remember um, I used to think a lot when I was younger, going back to those Soul Survivor days as well, when uh, the worship leaders must have like an amazing reward coming in heaven, Mm. right? They must have like so much more than the welcome team and they must have even more. The welcome team must have more than like the door stewards and so on and so on. How's it measured, right? Because we're all equal. We've all got a part to play. Do the worship leaders get more of a reward? No, no, because we are all equal. All equal. Mm. And there's the thief on the cross. He hadn't walked with Jesus. He hadn't been the disciple. Yeah. That went around. He hadn't seen all the miracles. He hadn't supported him. He hadn't stood by Jesus' side when things were going tough. He was going to be crucified with Jesus for a crime. Mm. And the one prayer, Jesus, remember me when you come into your glory. Done. You'll be with me in mm. paradise. Amen. Amazing. Equal to all the disciples, equal to all the Old Testament prophets, equal mm. through the grace and the love of God. Everybody's equal. When I left a particular church and I went to live for a break, a holiday in Cheddar, and the holiday turned out to be a long stay because a church started up in my front room, <laughs> just like John's, and it started growing and growing and growing, and I couldn't leave it. Yeah. And the grass in the building wasn't my responsibility. We're only a little church anyway. It was somebody else's job, and they didn't do it. And I come from a church where there's a, a gardener paid to do it all. And all I did was preach and lead and all the rest of it. And here I am now in Cheddar, no salary, no nothing, no nothing, surviving. And here the grass is growing. And I grumbled to God. And I, I, I don't hear the word of God in my head. But this time I was rebuked. You're only worth what you're going to do now. Yeah. Your obedience to me. I have my sovereignty brought you to this place. Cut the grass. Yeah. And stop complaining. So true. And I cut the grass. And I cut it every week going onwards. When you think we're above tasks, we are not. Yeah. We're all absolutely equal. Just servants of God. Just servants of God. From the tea to the cleanup to the microphone to whatever it is. Mm. No difference. It's brilliant. Another thing that we, the three of us as we've been preaching and other people have said it a lot as well. We keep coming back to that. We feel it's a season where the harvest is ready. And I said a few uh, weeks ago where I feel like all of our predecessors, all of all of our ancestors have done the hard work. They've gone out and sown the seed. And last week you mentioned Matthew 9, 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Our problem is we believe what we see. And sometimes we've just got to see with spiritual eyes. Yep. On the basis of that scripture there, there's a harvest out there yep. 
ready to be plucked. Yeah. I saw on television a farmer planting trees, saplings, and he's planting a forest that he will never see. Mm. And they said, why are you doing this? And it spent hours and hours and weeks and weeks and months and months planting a forest. Why are you doing it? And it cost him a fortune to get all these saplings in. He said, I'm doing it for another generation. They'll never see it. Now, there are people who have interceded around the world for this place, Yeovil. Mm -hmm. There are people interceding now because God's got his intercessors all around the world. They don't even know what they're praying for. All they're doing is they're feeling a burden, mm -hmm. and they're praying out the burden. That's what intercessors do. It's not specific. They're praying out the burden until the burden's finished and lifted. Yeah. That's happened for Yeovil. And there are people who have past ministries in all the churches and so on have planted and planted and planted and Christians planted and planted. Now, now with the Lord in heaven. Mm. The harvest is there now. Yeah. Because who brings the harvest? The Holy Spirit brings the growth. So it's got to be growing. Yeah. Now we've got to be out there looking, watching, waiting, servants, loitering <laughs> around, seeing where the availability is, where the moment is, where the hurt is, yeah. where the need is. Getting involved in that, planting the seed, pluck the harvest. Yeah. And we need to be doing that. Our ministry is not in here. Amen. Our yeah. ministry is totally out there. Yeah. We need servants in here because we're just servants. Listen, this is the church, it's a farmhouse. This is the farmhouse. Yeah. We're all in here now as workers out of the field, having a great time. It should be joyful time, it should be happy time, it should be a restful time. It's a feeding time. Yeah. It's brilliant. It should be brilliant. Our status is as workers in the field. In a minute, we're all going to go out of this farmhouse and we're going to go out there into the world where the harvest is. Mm. The harvest ain't here. The harvest is there. And all we've got to do is there and recognize the harvest and just get involved and it'll happen. Yeah. It will just happen. I, um, I'll tell you what we do. <clears throat> imagine, imagine a war zone. It's all in a war zone, <clears throat> and the enemy has taken all our children. And there they are, over there, uh, across the border. We're on the front line. We're just behind this front line, this side. The enemy are over the other side of the line, and they've got our children. And we can hear our children shouting, Mommy, Daddy, Uncle, Auntie, and so on. What do we do? Well, we get little paper airplanes and throw them across. And hope they get there. Send them a tract. In, it'll be all right. It, you, you'll be free soon. We wouldn't do that. If my children in the enemy camp, I'm going to scheme and think and plant. I'm, go I'm going to dig tunnels. Mm. I'm going to get brave. I'm going to get supporters. I'm going to go across there. And I'm going to get my children back regardless. Yeah. Regardless of the cost. Even if I get killed doing it, I'm going to get my kids back. Yeah. That's the harvest out there. The work is out there, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. The message is in here. It needs to go out there. Fight the fight. With us. Fight the fight. Brilliant. Ban, do you want to come back up? And I've got one final question for you. We talk a lot about joy. And we talk about, we've spoken a lot off stage about we want Southfield to be a place of joy. We want people to sense the joy, be filled with the joy. What does it mean to serve with joy? What does it mean to live with joy? My greatest joy, very simple really, 
my greatest joy, and I love this, to make people happy. Mm. It's really so simple. We are filled with joy. It's gift from God. It's his gift to us, joy. It's deep within our spirit. What we've got to do is to release it. Just release the joy and be happy. Mm. And if we can touch those buttons in others and bring happiness to them, the joy is released at the same time. I love being in a happy church. I was brought up in the most miserable church. <laughs> I was brought up in such a strict Christian religious society. Mm. I didn't wear long trousers till I was 16. I couldn't go on my bike on a Sunday. It weren't permitted. I couldn't buy an ice cream on a Sunday. And the ice cream guy was coming around. My mum stopped it all. We were brought up to so restricted. Mm. So when I got out of that environment, you can just imagine my joy. <laughs> and the joy's release. It's never let me. I love the freedom. Amen. I love the spontaneity. Yeah. God hasn't come to punish us. It's come to bless us. Yeah. The kiss of God is upon his children constantly. Love draws us. If Sue said to me, well, she did, sort yourself out. I sorted myself out because of the reward. But it wasn't just because I wanted to win Sue. All of a sudden, I wanted to win the approval of God. And I'm still wanting to win the approval of God. We talk about love a lot, don't we? Mm. No, don't get me on that. Yeah, we're going to wrap it up. We could go on for hours, couldn't we? Maybe we should do a podcast. Should we stand together?